0: Uh, just a word uh, about uh, what we just did we were doing a, obviously a presentation of the bible uh, the scripture uh, memorizing it learning it trying to bring it to life and i just want to share with you all because many of you may not know this and and some have asked me about it uh, but right now i'm enrolled in a doctorate of ministry degree something that i decided to take on and it's in biblical performance criticism and that sound very elevated but basically what it means is that we We look at the Bible stories, we learn them and memorize them, because that's how the word was originally translated and transmitted from one to another, and as we we wrestle with and we learn the words together, uh, we learn about what it means. And so I'm in this doctorate program, which is about three years long, and part of that is that we will be memorizing and learning Bible stories together. So if you have an interest in that just put your name on the connection card and you can drop it in the box out there because you're going to be seeing a lot more of us telling the story of god as it was originally transmitted uh, orally one to another so i appreciate your prayers for that and support and uh, i'm looking forward to that program and at the very end uh, i'll be doing an epic not me the entire uh, whole crowd of you will be doing an epic telling uh, from of the miracles in the book of John. And so if you'd like to be a part of that I want to invite you to do that. No experience is necessary uh, All ages are invited and uh, it's just a, a hunger and learning for God's Word And I would love to have you included in that project with me as we learn the story today It's a familiar story one that most every child hears from the very beginning. It's the story of David and Goliath and so what I want to do is take you uh, with us uh, to the land. That's where these lessons have been from, the lessons of the land. This is found in 1 uh, Samuel 17. And we are heading to the Elah Valley this morning. The scripture is quite clear that this is where the, the, the battle took place. It says, Saul and the Israelites assembled in camp in the Valley of Elah. Not just some mystical place uh, out there somewhere, but it is an actual real place In real time. Uh, The Elah Valley, uh, I want to bring you there this morning and so here is our group the last time that we headed to the Elah Valley. uh, We're walking in a lot of heat and we're wearing our hats and we're drinking our water as we make our way to the Elah Valley. But again good news, as I said for you this week, you don't need any of that. You get to sit in air conditioning and come with us to the Elah Valley this morning. Here is a picture of the Elah Valley. Uh, we got mountains on each side, which is just exactly what you would expect, and a valley kind of in between. You can see on the map here that the Elah Valley is located pretty much in the middle of Israel. Uh, It's down in the southern part. Last week we were way in north part in Galilee where Jesus kind of hung out. Uh, Now we're kind of in the Old Testament region, and the Old Testament region was down further south. Uh, by the Negev Desert and places just to the north. That's kind of where a lot of our Old Testament takes place. And that's where we find uh, the Elah Valley. The Elah Valley is named after the Terebinth tree or the Elah tree. And here's a picture of two of them. This is from the location where our group uh, went on our very first day. And we go there and we overlook the Elah Valley and we unpack this story a little bit more. And there are Uh, Terebinth trees, and so you can imagine a time where this entire valley was filled with these Terebinth trees It's not not the case that way uh, today It's here in the Elah Valley that we are told that this battle took place Uh, Beyond it uh, just being a place for battle. It is fertile grounds. You can see that now uh, today It's used for planting and for growing produce and crops. It's it's prime territory it is prime real estate here in the Elah Valley. And, uh, and here's a picture of me and my family uh, overlooking the Elah Valley when, when we were there. Uh, so it's a real place, that's why I put that there. You can go and you can overlook it. And that's what the scripture is found in, right? Uh, it, it's found in real people, real places, real time. And so as we go to the Elah Valley, we ask ourselves, why did, the, why did this battle happen there, right? David and Goliath show up, why did they just all of a sudden choose to have this this fight here in the Elah Valley? Well, it has to do with several things. One is topography. So we're going to learn a little bit about the geography of Israel. Israel, if you go pretty much north to south, you can slice it into four slices. The first slice, which is over by the Mediterranean Sea, is called the coastal plain. All right, it's the coastal plain. Then you have a slice two over, I'm going two over, is the Judean mountains or the Judean hills. Then there's the slice between the coastal plain and the mountains, which is called the Shephelah. Shephelah is a word from a Hebrew word which means low, low lowlands, not important. However, it is very important. So we have the, what do we have first? Coastal Plain, then we have the Shephelah, then we go up the Judah Mountains, and then we come down into the Jordan River Valley, because then the Jordan River cuts on the uh, west side, or the east side there, and cuts off, that's really the other border there, comes down in the valley, and we talked about that last week, how low that is, that's where the Dead Sea is, that's where the Sea of Galilee is. So that's the topography coastal plain Shephelah Judah mountains and coming down into the Jordan River Valley that's what you in all that geography is very important and it sets itself up here uh, for this story that's why I tell you this because in this region going back until about uh, 1220 BC uh, right around that that time we have the Israelites under Joshua who came into the land they're coming in from the east and as they come in across the Jordan River they settle in the Judean mountains now coming in from the other side at the exact same time almost are the Philistines the Philistines are people who are from the sea and from the water in fact I wrote down here that in um, let me look at it here gotta find this in Amos 9:7. 7 Uh, It tells us that they came from Kaftor, which is perhaps the island of Crete. And so they were people from the water. And they came in, and first they tried to conquer Egypt, which is south a little bit, but the Egyptians drove them out, so they came up the coastland, and they settled here on the coast, in the coastal region. At the same time, Israelites coming in, Philistines coming in. Israelites are settled in the mountains, Philistines are settled in the coast now if you want to expand that territory and you want to grow some crops and some nice fertile crops the Israelites have to head down into the Shephelah and the Philistines have to head up into the Shephelah which means they're going to meet each other and so the Shephelah was always a point of conflict because that's where those two cultures always collided if they were going to expand if they wanted to get a hold of that fertile land that's where they would run into each other And in addition, in the topography of Israel, there are valleys that cut through the Shephelah. There are four valleys here. We see the Ajalon Valley, the Sorek Valley, the Elah Valley, and the Lachish Valley. And each of these valleys now run east-west through the land. So if you're going to travel east-west or west-to-east, you're going to use what? the valley right you're not going to go up and over mountains and climb mountains you're going to take the low road you're going to take the valley the valley is kind of like an expressway if you want to get from the east to the west or the west to the east go in the valley that's how you how you move through there but you can see what happens if the philistines come down the valley they can now then head up the elah valley and when they get to the elah valley they can make a right into the mountains they get their way right to Bethlehem to Jerusalem which is the capital of Israel Jerusalem is 12 miles one direction the city of Gath the hometown for Philistines is 12 miles in the other direction and so centered in this valley is a city called Azekah which guards the very middle of it and you saw on that previous map that there were four or five cities those were all established by Joshua when he moved into the land to protect the valleys, to keep people from moving into the valleys. Those were fortresses, because if you control those fortresses, you control the valley, you controlled the road. And at any time, if you want to know what Israelites' power was, did they hold on to these capitals? And so here's one of those cities. And so here we are at one of those cities at Ezekah, which is along this valley, because the Philistines are moving this way. And we see the Israelites are trying to protect things this way. It was always a clash as they tried to expand their domain, as they tried to get larger. And so we're set up here at Azekah. And that's exactly what it says here, is we get pretty good directions from the text on where the battle took place. It says the Philistines were camped on the south side of the valley, between the two hills of Soka and Azekah while the Israelites camped on the opposite side of the brook to the north that brook is there too the famous brook the brook of Elah you can see a picture here of the brook of Elah well that's where they were camped so you can see how that brook runs through the middle and here is the brook right here in the rainy season which is only a couple a month or so and then mostly in the dry season the brook of Elah and that's most likely where David came down and God has stones. And while we were in Israel, here's our group. I sent them into the, uh, uh, I sent them into the valley and I said to the, to the stream and encouraged them to pick up stones, just like David did so long ago, and to hold them and put them in their bag for such a time that they face a battle. And so hopefully most came home with those stones. I have one, one left right here as I've been giving mine away through the years to different people who's been facing different battles. That's the setup for the story. We got the Israelites on one hill, we got the Philistines on the other hill, we have the the creek down between them, we know why they're colliding together, Uh, we know what's going on there, but then the last piece that we need to understand is culturally how they engaged in battle with one another. When they engaged in battle it was often common during this time that you would just send out one person you send out your champion and this makes sense right you, you don't want your your um whole uh, army to fight and die if they don't have to so you send out one person your champion and each side will send out their champion not just representing their side but also representing their gods And whatever champion prevails, whatever God prevails, they win, one-on-one. That's the battle. And if we win, you're our slaves. If we win, you're our slaves. And so they would fight one-on-one. And that's what's happening here is the Philistines are sending out their champion. Their champion is Goliath. The champion is Goliath. They're getting ahead of the story here must have some place to go and wants me to speed on with the message. Get to to David. We got to go. Goliath. And so we have Goliath uh, showing up here in battle as the champion. And he's saying, send somebody out to fight me. And if we win, then you're our slaves. But if we lose, you're our slaves. And that's the battle that's going on. So Goliath steps out. And there is no question that Goliath was a big dude. Uh, if you look at uh, what the scriptures say about him uh, he is never called a giant notice that but it says that he his height in verse 4 was 6 cubits in a span a cubit is about the size of a forearm roughly 18 to 21 inches so when you add that up it puts Goliath at a height of about 9.5 feet tall that's pretty tall And at a time where anthropologists tell us, even um, in contrast to this picture here, the average size of a Canaanite at that time was 5'5 and 125 pounds. So you can imagine the disparity. Anyway, he is an imposing figure just simply in his height. And then notice what he has with him. He has a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That means that coat of armor is about 125 pounds. That coat of armor weighs about as much as the other person that he would be facing off against. I think it's a testimony to the size of this person wearing that armor and then it says on his legs he had the he had the greaves he had a javelin on his back and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod so i'm like well what, what in the world is a weaver's rod right <laughs> meant something to them because they were familiar with it at the time so we look it up and we say what does a weaver's beam look like well it's at the top beam at the weaving rod it's usually like a eight foot long pole which is about two to two and a half inches thick it is a big healthy Beam to hold on to and at the very end of that it says his spear point weighed 600 shekels which is about 15 pounds so if you can imagine taking a I don't know take a a six or eight foot long pole and then put a 15 pound bowling ball on the end of it and try to carry it right that's what this guy is doing so that says something about his biceps and his strength as he carries this um, this javelin and that is an actual reproduction of one that that man is standing next to in that picture and at the in the last thing I want to say about Goliath in all of this they keep referring to the fact that he was wearing that it all was made out of bronze it was all made out of bronze that may not seem like much to us but that was the technology of the day the bronze he was able to wear this bronze armor. Nobody else had it. It was lighter than iron. It was lighter in weight. It was the latest technology of the day. And if we, if we look at uh, 1 Samuel 13 uh, 1 Samuel 13, there's a section that starts at verse 16 and it's titled Israel Without Weapons Israel Without Weapons. And verse 19 says this not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, Otherwise, the Hebrews will make sword and spears. All right, so the Philistines have the technology. They know how to make bronze, they know how to do it. They say, So all of Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. And notice in verse 22. It says, so on the day of the battle, this would be a, a different battle, but it would be all the battles moving forward for Israel. Not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and Jonathan had them. There's a distinct advantage in military power, in military might. Goliath is fighting with bronze, he's fighting with the latest technology, while the Israelites are left with sticks and you heard him say that to you heard him say that to David when David comes out he goes what are you going to fight me with sticks well David's like no I got a sling but I'm not going to fight you with my stick but that's where that comes from right out of there because they had this technology that the Israelites didn't so as you look at Goliath it does seem to me that Goliath does seem to be like an overwhelming force doesn't he I mean, anyway, you slice it. To have this guy come out and go, have somebody come fight me. And you can see why nobody would show up to fight him. But at the crux of the story is David shows up onto the scene and says, well, I'll fight him. Notice where David was pointing. David wasn't pointing at his Military armor. He wasn't pointing at his sword. He wasn't pointing at a spear He wasn't pointing the fact that we have a hundred thousand men behind us. David was pointing in one direction and that was upward to God Said God is our king God is our king and at the end of the day. I believe this story is simply about that question Who is your king? Who is your king if you remember? just a few chapters earlier in chapter 8. Look what was going on in chapter 8. Chapter 8 is Israel asks for a king. Israel asks for a king. They come to Samuel and say, We want a king. Why do they want a king? Because they say in verse 19, 8-19, They said, we want a king over us, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. That's why we want a king. We want to be like the other nations and have a king. Well, wait a minute, wasn't God their king? Wasn't God the one saying, I am your God, I am your king? But notice what God says in eight verse six. He says, listen, and the the Lord said, and listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, Samuel. You're just my spokesperson. They have rejected me as their king. Wow. That's a bad situation for the Israelites to be in, isn't it? You have rejected me as their king. And they said, we want a king. We want a king, a king who will lead us into battles. And so they picked Saul because he stands a head and shoulder above everybody else. Remember when they're looking around for a king? We want Saul, because he looks big. He looks like, he's the guy we'll follow into battle. He's the one that'll win for us. He's our king. Forget God. And that's where they find themselves in the Elah Valley, being tested over who is going to be king. Remember how many days they've been down there in this battle 40 days 40 days Goliath has been stepping forward 40 days he's been challenging them 40 means something in the Bible the Israelites were 40 years in the wilderness Moses was gone for 40 years. Jesus went into the desert for 40 years. Every time there is a 40 it is a time of testing and trial. And so I don't think we overlook that number here that the Israelites are being tested and they're under trial to answer that question Who is your king is God going to be your king as a nation? You rejected him Are you going to continue to reject him? Or are you going to place your hope and place your trust and place your faith into God, who is your king and king alone. That's what makes you unique as a nation, that you have God as your king. Will you trust in God as your king? They're being tested. And day after day, Saul, who was supposed to lead them into battle, is failing. In fact, he's cowering on the hill and he puts a bribe out there if you read more of this chapter he says I'm gonna give here's what I'm gonna to give to the one who will go down there and do it it's you can have you can have my, my daughter I'll give you money you can have lots of things if you, somebody wins well you're supposed to be the guy who's leading them you're a head taller than everybody else and now as soon as you face somebody bigger than you you cower and they're failing the test day after day after day and then into the camp comes David. Into the camp comes David. And David shows up and he says, wait a minute. Why is everybody cowering? Why are we not taking this uncircumcised Philistine on? This guy who was outside of God's family. This guy who was, who was just, uh, just day after day Burying the name of God in the dirt and lifting up the name of Dagon instead. What, what's going on here? We have a God who is our king. And David points the finger to God as a nation and says, We need to follow our God. And notice the language David says, And I come in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. People forgot about that. Goliath looks at him and goes, You're servants of Saul. David looks at him and says you're the army of the God of Israel that's who you are he is the one who will say for the battle is the Lord's because he is the living God and on this whole on this day the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and David keeps pointing that finger to God and saying why why are we being tested Why are we standing here? Why are we cowering? There's one God, and we're going to win this battle today in his name, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And at a time when this nation is being tested with the question, who is your king? Here is this story to sit in the middle of, of their history to remind them over and over again, God is your king, and once again, look what your king is doing for you. And so David heads down into battle with the king with God Saul doesn't even write Saul tries to put his armor on him right every nobody's looking like this is God God's gonna win this battle except for David and David goes down and with a sling in his hand without a sword kills the giant and down he comes And the victory belongs to the people of God. Why? Because God was their king, and David was the one who trusted him, the only one who trusted him. And we see God coming through and prevailing in victory. And so my encouragement for you today is this. Let the king lead you in your battles. Let the king lead you in your battles. Because the enemy is still coming after us isn't he he's still like Goliath I mean and don't miss don't miss the description here in, in in the setup about Goliath and the enemy because Goliath was notice when they describe him all all the sixes they attribute to Goliath go back and read those a lot of sixes And in the Bible again we know the number six seven is the number of completion six is falling short of that six is the number of imperfection of sin of evil and Goliath is being associated with evil and then they say his armor is like serpent don't miss that connection either I think Goliath is placed here to represent the evil and that evil comes at us today still like Goliath shouting at us maybe with discouragement maybe with doubt maybe with pain maybe with loss maybe with an addiction maybe with a broken relationship I don't know the the enemy does all kinds of things in battle to come after us are you in a battle today is the enemy coming after you today because there is still evil that confronts us today we are in a battle today the Bible tells us that the enemy is still alive and he comes around like a roaring lion waiting to devour us and don't miss that what did David also do to the lion kill the lion this is a story about our God our King it's not about us we always like to make the scripture about us but the scripture is God's relevant revelation about him and here we see that God is king and in your battle today I just want to encourage you to not be Saul standing on the hill cowering in the face of that battle and maybe maybe you're here you are on that hill and all you hear is that thundering voice of the enemy down there just hollering at you testing you challenging you and battling you day and night night and day I get that because our enemy is relentless he doesn't stop the battle rages on but like David I want you to see your king I want you to know your king and that your king fights for you you have a king who will lead you into battle you have a king who did go into battle. And this king did not go into battle down in the valley, but he went to battle up on a hill, a hill called Golgotha, where he took on all our pain, all the sin, every battle that the enemy could throw at us. Every battle that the enemy could use to discourage us, every battle the enemy could use to break us, to keep its hold on us. Everything that the enemy could throw at us, he was there on that cross waging battle with the enemy. And at the end of the day, most people might have looked at that and said, look at there, the enemy won. He died on the cross the enemy won but that was not the end of the story the end of the story was that that tomb became alive and jesus became alive and he rose from the dead and in that moment he won the battle he won the battle and let's not miss this connection with genesis three fifteen. when jesus rose from the tomb Uh, Even though he suffered and died in this, in in that victory, I think it was the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and they will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. They will strike at your head, Satan, boom, your head is coming off, Satan. And what did David do at the end of the battle? He picked up the sword. Chopped off the head of the enemy, let's not miss the connection. I think it's pointing to this fact here that, listen, my people, I'm the one who will win the battle. I will face the evil, I will face the darkness, and your victory is in me and in me alone. And so I just want to encourage you to turn towards your king today. You don't go into the battle with the promises, with the pleasures, with the power of this world. None of them will win the battle. Our battle is won in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And he won the battle on that cross so many years ago for you today so that you can be set free from the enemy, so that the enemy no longer will have a hold on you, so that the enemy will no longer stand in front of you and and taunt you and challenge you and say, look, my my God is bigger than your God. You're like, nah, my God has crushed your head, enemy. And in this day, you need to flee from me in the name of Jesus Christ, because he won the victory. And if you're here today and you're facing that battle, will you take this story, And own it and put it into your heart because Jesus is the one who will lead us and it will lead you into that battle we get a beautiful vision of Jesus remember from our study in Revelation we see Jesus the one coming the King the risen King the conquering King leading us into battle as he rides on a white horse a symbol of victory and there is Jesus leading the way that's our God that's our king. Why would we put our hope and trust in anything or anyone or any place else other than in the one who won the victory? And Paul said to the Romans, he goes, that's where our hope is found. That's where the victory comes. And know this, Paul says in Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Whoa! Do you need that today? Are you facing a battle today right now in this moment at this time your king is here and i encourage you to go down into that valley like david did knowing the victory is mine and today is the day you say to that brokenness to that hurt that pain that habit that addiction whatever you're facing and you say i am here in the name of the lord The victory is ours because I represent the army of God and Satan, you are done. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that's been preserved for us and God, we just pray that these words would sink deep into our life and into our hearts because God, we get overwhelmed. We, We hear that voice of the enemy just hollering at us. And if we're honest, some of us are here this morning, and that's all that we've been hearing. We got up this morning, and that was the voice that we heard. God, we want to change that story. We want to change the story into one of victory. So God, help us to hear your voice today, saying, I have this. God, we may not know what it looks like, or what the time frame is, or how this victory may materialize, But we know it will because you're the God who won the victory. And so I want to pray for those right now, God, who are struggling. And that you would release them. That you would break the chains. That you would destroy the patterns. That you would help them in this day by the power of your spirit win that victory. May they call out to you in this moment. Right now I just encourage you, call out to God. Say, be my king, be my Lord, come and win the victory. I can't do it on my own. I've tried in the powers of this world. I can't do it, but I know you can, and I'm placing my faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 We're going to close with a great song of testimony, believer. And let us stand and declare that because as we declare those words, we push back the enemy by the word of our testimony.